0: Hello and welcome to the WellMedic podcast. I am your host, Dr. Sham Mahmoud. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for being a part of the WellMedic podcast as we create a community to empower the health and well-being of doctors across the UK. We tackle core issues which affect doctors on a personal level and our proactive stance helps us break the mold. Thank you for joining us in creating a movement of happy and healthy doctors. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Well Medic podcast. Today, I am joined by two amazing guests as we discuss the influence of COVID-19 on healthcare professionals working on the frontline. This week alone, we have witnessed a tremendous effort of unity amongst healthcare professionals as we aim to demonstrate our resilience to a global problem. In this podcast, we're hoping to answer and explore a very simple question, who's caring for our frontline staff? I'd like to take this opportunity to introduce our two guests. Firstly, we are joined by Dr. Joanna Poole, an anaesthetics trainee who has been instrumental in highlighting the struggles of junior doctors. Her passion for change fed directly into the GMC report, Caring for Doctors. Welcome to the show, Jo.
1: Hi, good evening.
0: Nice to have you. How's your day been?
1: Yes, lovely weekend off. It's been nice and sunny out in the garden.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Secondly, we have an inspirational medical student, Katija Awusu. She is currently studying at St. George's, London, and has been highlighted as a future leader in healthcare. Katija has been influential in speaking about different topics, which include the recent BMA charter on racism in medicine. Welcome to the show, Katija.
2: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us to discuss a very important topic. So just to provide some Perspective And what we're talking about today, I was going to start with a quote from the BMJ editorial titled challenges for NHS hospitals during COVID-19 epidemic. So it goes, the UK government says that the country is now on a war footing. Much of Europe is locked on lockdown, and major public events have been cancelled. It is impossible to know what the next weeks and months may bring. In this new normal, It is important for those in charge to be mindful of the strain that every healthcare worker will be under and the mental, emotional and physical risks involved in responding to an unprecedented crisis. NHS staff are its most valuable asset and will react with energy and flexibility. But urgent consideration must also be given to supporting their health and well-being for the benefit of all. So, Joe, you're currently working on the frontline response. How would you say this pandemic is affecting our healthcare professionals, both personally and professionally?
1: Um, very drastically would be the short answer. So I'm an anaesthetist and my department has already given up their rotors um, and the consultants will be doing a lot more on calls. Um, we're going to essentially give all our equipment and also our trainees over to the intensive care unit. So obviously on a personal level, that very much um has piqued a lot of anxiety. There are people with children or immunosuppressed relatives or other people in their households that are at risk. Um, Some of my bosses themselves are either in the age group to be affected um, or have other conditions that they're worried about. Um, And it's going to be very much a consultant-led intubation service because uh, we're trying to reduce the amount of time it takes to intubate these patients by using the most senior anaesthetists possible um, and I think all of this is playing into a lot of anxiety at the moment. At my hospital, it's just begun, but it's not quite overwhelmed yet. So there's still that anxiety of what are we going to do? How is it going to be waiting for the storm to hit, really?
0: Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that insight. Are people communicating with you well over this, this change? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's been fantastic, actually. At my hospital, the leadership is great. The clinicians have sort of taken charge. Emails, WhatsApps, webinars, the Faculty of Intensive Care Medicine and the Royal College of Anaesthetists and the Association of Anaesthetists has all built a lot of hub resources that they're emailing emailing out to everybody. And they're running sort of two-hour webinars every weekend. So I feel we're really well-informed. We're well-trained. There's lots of videos and educational resources. Uh, being ploughed into this from our side.
0: Fantastic I guess does that make a change from what it's what communication can normally be like in in trusts and with colleges or have the College of Anesthesists always been quite good at at sending their messages across?
1: I think generally speaking I've always found the anaesthetic world to be a better um, and softer communicator than perhaps other departments but I think with this especially because it's frontline um, and because we're very sort of linked in with the intensive care units in Europe, we've been hearing all of this long before it sort of hit the media, and I think sure. we had more time to prepare.
0: Fantastic. And from your perspective, Katija, how how does this make you feel as a medical student?
2: Um, it's it's brought quite a um, you know a lot of thoughts and um, just feelings of anxiety, really, for a lot of medical students. Um, it is a very much confusing time, as you know we were just last week, we had just finished our placement, I was just ending my five week neurology placement. And we were preparing for my paediatric placement the following week, which would have been um, this week that I would have started. And so to have, you know, this whole um, COVID-19 situation, do a complete, essentially 360 on our lives, it has had a huge impact on a lot of medical students across the country.
0: Again, when it comes to communication with with yourselves and, and your medical school has, has that been effective? Have you felt well informed of the of the situation?
2: Yes yeah, so universities um, I would say they've tried their best in order to communicate with the students. Um, you know a lot of, a lot of us have a lot of questions that we want to ask with mm. regards to you know our placement situation our exams what's going to happen whether we we still have to come into university our lectures our case-based discussions problem-based learning so we do have a lot of questions and luckily at my university we have a platform called uni2 where students are able to post their questions and staff members are able to you know, give their responses back. We do receive emails, um, you know, regarding the ongoing situation and how it's affecting our learning. But universities are definitely accommodating for this change.
0: Fantastic. So in preparation for this podcast, I've spent quite a lot of time scrolling through social media, um, really trying to get a sense of what healthcare professionals are feeling. Um, And I know sometimes our anxieties can be exacerbated by spending time on social media what do you think about this joe because i know that you're quite an active twitter user do you find that anxieties are being heightened is it a good educational platform at the moment where would you stand on this
1: Um, So initially, I would have said it was hugely educational, the material that we were getting directly from Italy and from sort of the European Society of Intensive Care Medicine, and all the educational resources were hugely coming and were front loaded from social media, I think that Mm -hmm. really helped people prepare and spread ideas. Recently, I do, particularly over the weekend, I think because there are now stories, the inevitable consequences um, of doctors ending up, you know, needing critical care. And I mm. believe there's an ear, nose, throat surgeon, um, or perhaps two of them in London who, and the Midlands, who mm, are very yep. unwell. And I think that provoked an absolute tsunami of anxiety, Yeah. along mm-hmm. with a lot of the social media regarding inadequate protective equipment, mm. which I think in some areas is actually ill-informed about the level of equipment that is missing because... Um, you don't need all the FFP3 masks for standard contact. And I think these two things together have sort of created this eruption of anxiety that I've really noticed amongst my sort of friends and colleagues in the last couple of days. And I think that is driven by social media and WhatsApp.
0: Sure, I think uh, probably Katija and myself, we might be in the same boat on this in the fact that We're probably not as well informed as yourself, Joe, in terms of we're not quite front line. Um, So I've been feeling those same anxieties, I guess, thinking about what's going to happen when we see patients, knowing that patients can asymptomatically carry this. And if we're seeing, you know, between 30 and 40 patients a day or even just walking the streets. Are we putting ourselves at greater risk? Yeah. Do you want
1: just comments on sort of the personal protective equipment or...
0: I think that's probably a good a good example to start with. Are we sensationalising our concerns and fears over personal health or are mm. these concerns valid is probably the right way of putting it.
1: Okay, so I think there's sort of two parts to that. So one, absolutely, if people feel anxious or are worried about this, Um, or sort of inadequacies in the protection they've been given then it's essential to be able to express that because sometimes there will be a problem like a distribution issue um, or someone hasn't thought about a particular niche area where someone's extra exposed or vulnerable Um, secondly I also think there's been a lot of anxiety about people not having fit masks and mm. from my understanding of the literature and from the guidance that we have been given, in, including from countries such as Singapore and South Korea, who have so far controlled their outbreaks very well, mm. uh, respiratory droplet spread is only really a significant risk um, when you are sort of instrumenting either the nose, throat, airway, and or causing an aerosol procedure, which is something like intubation uh, or non-invasive ventilation. And this is because when we think about respiratory droplets, they're quite dense. They're much denser than air. They're not floating around our heads. They're actually dropping to the floor and settling on surfaces. So actually, for nearly all of us, our main risks comes from coming into contact with these droplets and transferring mm. them to our own, um, you know, nose, mouth, mucosal surfaces mm. on our face or eyes, because we all rub our eyes, don't we? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so from that point of view, your gloves, hand hygiene gowns sort of protect some of the settling and the and the masks actually even if they um you know they protect like you know someone's going to spray you with stuff but what they do mean is that you're not touching your face Do you, you see you're not necessarily yeah. touching the yeah. tip of your nose mm-hmm. yeah. um so even for us who are intensivists and anesthetists and obviously we're very stressed by the idea that we're going to be constantly handling these patients with high viral loads um yeah. That is the advice we've been given. Unless, you know, there's an aerosol generating procedure, respiratory spread should be less of a risk for us. And the predominant area of risk comes from touching things and contaminating our own faces. Uh, And that is my current understanding and things may change. But I think Public Health England is at fault for not really explaining the evidence and the decisions around this because mm. at the same time I think there has been distribution issues so I do believe there's now a centralized committee for the provision of PPE across the country I yeah. don't know how that works for primary care um but yes things are rolling on this um, fantastic
0: and and uh, you rightly mentioned that um, kind of with a lot of the COVID-19 um any any podcast blog that comes out it it might only be relevant to that time because things are so yeah changing so quickly change. as well Mm-hmm. Do you have any concerns yourself, Katija? Specific concerns about exposure that uh, that medical students have, or concerns about how things are going to be progressing going forward for yourselves?
2: Yeah. So initially, before you know, universities ended up coming to this the decision of ending all placements. A lot of us did start to have some fear because we were in um, we were on placement, especially for the senior medical students who have clinical placements during the entire academic year we were on placement um, and some of us were even on respiratory wards with um, known COVID cases and so there was a lot of fear amongst medical students and we thought okay so why aren't, you know, why hasn't the university said anything, are we meant to be on placement during this time Um, what exactly are we supposed to be doing and so during that time we were very confused until Mm. they released the information and said okay so now it's the time for for medical students not to be on placement, Um, it does add to the strain on the already hard-working healthcare professionals you know fighting the situation and so having medical students there sort of in the way would really help the situation um so yeah a lot of us have been um I guess at home um there are a lot of medical students who are also volunteering through various ways but essentially you know universities have advised us to stay at home and you know they're gathering resources to put a lot of our learning online of course the online learning cannot replace actually being on placement and speaking to patients and getting involved but you know they've got to do what Mm. they can in this situation essentially
0: yeah it seems um i I guess we're we're blessed by technology that we can actually get resources quickly to the people that need them exactly Um, just as we're, we're following uh, social distancing by doing this podcast online. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was going to move on to talk about self-care. Um, so self-care is a is a term that often polarizes opinions amongst uh, healthcare professionals. So recently there was a, a really good BMJ opinion blog, I'm not sure if you guys have read it, on the importance of self-care for doctors and it focused specifically on sleep. It was by Dr. Michael Farrakhar and Sharina unad um, do you guys have any pointers about what we should prior- prioritise as, as things do become more pressured? Uh,
1: yeah, I suppose I can say. So, I've been through obviously like a point myself last year. Um, I really got to the point I wanted to quit. And, you know, I also had like a lot of post traumatic stress relating to an intensive care case. And I think what I was made to realise through those experiences and through talking to the experts and things is that. Um, even if we think we don't deserve it or it's uh weak and wussy to need self-care it's part of enhancing your performance like an athlete would have the right nutrition and would have the right sleep and would you know go and have ice baths to cool their muscles there are certain things we need to do for our own sort of emotional resilience and for our own thought processes you know and our cognitive awareness of of you know, thinking through complex medical problems, or you know, theory of mind, and reacting with our colleagues, um, is that we have to rest and recharge. We have to prescribe it to ourselves. It's part of sort of endurance training, um, and it's part of you know, remaining healthy and well and resilient for our patients. Um, you know, they don't benefit from us working ourselves to the bone and having outbursts and quitting. Uh, or getting cognitively overwhelmed and not being able to make the right decisions when we're stressed um and i think ever since i thought of it that way you know sort of we're elite performance um athletes in a way i think that's really helped me sort of reconcile uh, this idea that actually this is a long game and we need to yeah. prescribe ourselves downtime
0: that's that's uh no i, I like that i really like the analogy uh, with elite performance athletes yeah, I now start to think of myself as Mohammed Salah or Sadi Mone. <laughs> exactly.
1: What do they need to do to achieve? You know, we're playing a hard game. You know, this is yeah. Got to stick with it.
0: Yeah, I found myself this week, like just putting my WhatsApp uh, on mute, and just like to one point when I went out, I just turned all my mobile data off, just because it's really difficult to to actually get just get away from people yeah. talking about COVID-19 and I know I know that's uh, almost hypocritical because we're talking about it at the moment but uh, <laughs> uh, what, what would you say about that but just the question to both of you really? Isn't yeah it? How,
1: I'd be interested how... to hear what Khadija thinks actually as a medical student and whether she's sort of developed those strategies
2: yet. Um... Um, yeah so I think you know having this time well not completely off because we still have to study but you know knowing that essentially our clinical examination, so our OSCEs are cancelled, it has reduced, you know, the sort of studying burden um, that normally medical students have. And um, it's important that, you know, um, I've even discussed with my friends that, okay, so, you know, we don't have, you know, that much study time because we've essentially, one out of the two exams we have is cancelled or postponed. Um, we do have more time for ourselves to, of course, wind down um, sort of relax but not too much of course um but you know studying medicine is hard um it is long um I mean I'm sure of course you guys are doctors so you would already know um it is an intense degree for us and so having this time to sort of wind down and relax um and not totally neglect our studies has been sort of beneficial but then it does Of course, you know, we have all the information around us, the WhatsApp messages that's always being forwarded to us from parents (laughs) and all our relatives, um, as well as, you know, the Twitter and the Instagram, the news, it's always coronavirus, coronavirus. And so in a way, it is quite hard to get away from it all, but having that sort of downtime you know disconnecting as you said you muted your whatsapp and um, turned off your mobile data is very important and it's just given us more time to sort of connect with each other you know we sit on for example facetime have conversations about life in general um so it's definitely had its benefits but then also the cons as well
1: yeah i think that sounds completely valid and completely sensible approach i think um what I've learned sort of from talking to everyone over the last couple of years, I've met some really interesting people and um, so your downtime really needs to be full of fun and relaxing and recharging. And that means something that is completely low effort that brings you a lot of enjoyment. So Mm. for me, for a lot of doctors, actually it will be exercise. Um, A lot of doctors might like reading, going to the Mm -hmm. cinema, seeing plays, something that requires little sort of mental effort that brings you a lot of joy and you actually have to prescribe it so if you're looking at a week ahead that looks awful or you know a summer ahead that looks awful what you have to do is block in things that you know are going to recharge you um so this might be it might be annual leave when you know you're going to take it or a weekend break it might be right i'm going to set this day aside to go and wander around snowden i'm gonna have a bath on this day um for me recently i have really been enjoying the garden like i've discovered this in the last sort of year that i love gardening you plant Fantastic. seeds wander out and then in like a few weeks like something really pretty has grown um and then the other thing is just computer games i had such a good day today. <laughs> i literally was like i got so stressed with twitter yesterday i was like you know what i can see which direction this is heading in i'm going to i downloaded the sims I went yeah. out for a two hour walk People have half, been
2: talking about things. I'm
1: obsessed with <laughs> <laughs> like, you can just lose like three hours of your day You're like god I haven't <laughs> thought about anything stressful for like three hours you know and then I, I wasn't on the you know well then wasn't on twitter I wasn't on whatsapp I wasn't thinking about anything complex and then I went out for a beautiful walk and I'm just so relaxed and I, <laughs> you know I know the hospital's going to be held tomorrow I just we've just yeah. had emails over the weekend about how every single bed in our hospital is pretty much going to be for a Corona patient. That's 800 beds. Right. And, you know, and then I've got surgeons messaging me to ask how you use the ventilator and, you know, it's surreal, but I'm actually so ready for it. Um, Mm. But yesterday I was very wound up and that's because I had everyone saying, you know, we're all going to die. You're going to die because you're intubating airways. Um, And I just think it's not healthy to be surrounded by that constant buzz your brain was never designed to just keep taking a cortisol hit and adrenaline and not having anything to do with it you know and actually forcing yourself just to I would almost just have a safe and just put your phone in it and Mm -hmm. go off and do anything you know what's going to happen in 10 hours that you really need to know about like you know if it's that bad someone will come and find you right maybe not Mm. at the moment but um yeah I'm just I'm just so impressed with how much better my mood is today having made that conscious effort so I really advise that
2: and I think you made a really good point about purposely having that sort of time to block you know time blocking time away for yourself um whether you know the coronavirus situation is here or not just in general in life um through working or as a medical student, purposefully having that time set aside for yourself and making it intentional is mm-hmm. definitely very beneficial for our well being.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've always I I thought of it recently as say, you know, you've got this racehorse.
0: There's, mm.
1: you know, a lot of you know a lot of investment has gone into this thing. It's, you know, it's a machine that's mm. us. And you know, we've got to race. And you know, you're doing the ground ethanol and you're going over these fences and it's hard and it's heavy and you know things happen and it can be quite traumatic mm. but actually if you're preparing that racehorse what you don't do is whip it flat out yeah. for weeks on end you pace you okay. say right it's going to have a rest day we're going to do hill work on this day and then we're going to do some light walking on this day mm. we're going to give it a massage and infrared therapy i'm quite a horse person so there are a lot of horse <laughs> allergies i do apologize that but it. <laughs> you know we're not kind or even logical to ourselves we're animals we have biology mm-hmm. it we can't you know outthink it it is what it is and the sooner we sort of accept that the better our performance will be over a sustained period of time and some people will think of that as you know being wishy-washy and needing you know self-care and other people will just think it's a scientific thing to do um, absolutely and I'm yeah I'm just in the middle I just think everyone wins
0: yeah, no, no, yeah. I, I think I, I find myself agreeing with that. Sometimes, um, especially with a lot of this, I think as when when we're faced by challenges, you can almost go flat out, Um, mm. almost as the response of dealing with it is to not think about what you're doing at the time and just Absolutely. do as much and as fast as you can. I think there may be a point when we actually get towards the end of this and hopefully that soon Um, that we then have a greater need for self-care. Mm-hmm. And it's about then being able to recognise that. And I think that sometimes can be the bigger challenge.
1: For sure. I would say, you know, when I had post-traumatic stress, it was three or four months after the actual incident. And I didn't see it coming. And I'm I'm not a squeamish person. I wasn't extra upset at the time. It was a standard, you know, head injury in a young man that died. And it was gruesome. Mm. Mm. But that was not different for me. Um so it, it just was bizarre to me that I felt the way that I did. And I didn't understand why it would happen several months later. And when you look at and, you know, because I'm a very curious type person, um, obviously investigated post-traumatic stress to the hilt, both talking to various different <laughs> people, all the right avenues, all the literature, all the books. And it's, it is a thing. And actually, if we don't process it at the time, your brain puts it just in the primitive fear box. And then every time it has something slightly related to that context, it just whips it out. And I think we're all at very high risk of post-traumatic stress from the summer. The the medical students are going to be in it above their heads. Mm -hmm. We're going to be rationing care. We're going to be worried about ourselves. We're going to be worried about our families. And we have to keep talking about this. And if we don't, we are all going to end up with a completely broken mind. You know, this is an extreme stress. It's, it is a form of warfare and, we just have to recognise that and take the strategies now to minimise it because it's not a normal summer for us or anyone actually.
0: Absolutely, as I was saying to you before the call, sometimes the summers are the months that you look forward to in terms mm. of it's the best time to be in a hospital. Absolutely, maybe this be a bit different, and 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 I, and I think communication is so key, um, just for our for our own our own well-being in terms of we need to make sure that either we're communicating with others um, and then also others are communicating with us as well so that we we leave that door open for our colleagues and not closing the door just because we're feeling stressed ourselves yeah because uh, as you know you we can't you I, I i've i've done it myself i think because i've been I've had difficult moments in the past. You'd almost then block yourself off to other people as well. And I, and I hope that we can all come together during this difficult time and, and make sure that our doors are open so that people can come and seek us for help and advice as well.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's going to come in in peaks and troughs. And when you're at rock bottom, hopefully you'll have someone to lean on and then mm. flip reverse it when they've had a crap shift. You're there. And it's it's not perfect. You know, it is a trauma. It is going to be really devastating. But we if we contextualize it safely at the time from a neuroplasticity point of view, from the way, way that the brain um, wires stuff, um, it can be traumatic, but it needs to be in context. And then we can leave it behind and go on with the rest of our normal medical civilian lives. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think there will be a lot of psychological input. I think people have thought ahead. Um, and there will be some structure there. I don't know what yeah. form that will take, but I know that people have identified it as a key issue.
0: It, it's been uh, published in a couple of uh, articles already that they, they are going to look at psychotherapy and and, and bringing uh, people in to help mm-hmm. alleviate some of that concern from healthcare professionals on the front line. So I think that's that's something that's been identified early, and and hopefully that should lead us all in good stead as well. Mm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I had. Um, So so I always thought sort of psychotherapy was a bit wishy-washy. And, Mm. you know, then obviously I had my experience and then you know the deanery gave me some free cognitive behavioral um psychotherapy and it was all free yep. so i was like mm. you know what I'll, do, I'll i'll take your six mm. sessions of free stuff <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite intrigued by it gets to talk to yeah. a psychologist they can psychoanalyse <laughs> you so interesting um and it was it was instantly amazing and i really honestly think we should all get cbt just in life in general mm. like what mm. you talk through and what you identify and it's just, it absolutely nailed it. And you instantly realise sort of what your vulnerabilities are, why you end up that way and, you know, how to deal with it. And I think some key things that they said, which is the one thing that I would emphasise to everyone, including my own kids, you know, they're going to be psychoanalyzed to hell, but I'm going to try and give them (laughs) the right life advice, would be, um, what was it she said? Something like, so the past is gone uh, and you can't do anything about it. And none of us can guarantee the future. So actually, all you have is today and this moment. And that's the only thing you have any agency over. And you can't control your external circumstances, just your reaction to it. And as soon as you drop the responsibility for worrying about everything that's already happened that you can't change and everything in the future that you can't guarantee is even going to be there, it just dumps a lot of stress if you just hit you know deal with the here and the now um you can get through it and i think a lot of the anxiety at the moment is about what's to come cool. yeah
0: yep yeah, absolutely and uh, that definitely hit, hits the nail on the head so for the last part of this um of this podcast um Let's take um everything that's happened in terms of recommendations in terms of social isolation, distancing, helping to flatten the curve. But we need to consider our workforce in general. And with the we're hearing lots of things about um, medical students being expected to graduate early to try to begin to bolster the workforce, talking about recently retired doctors being talked back into roles within primary and secondary care, and then we're also thinking about trainees that are dealing with the postponement of their exams postponement of their rotations and loss of training opportunities so what's your feeling around this with specifically let's start with the medical students Katija well how do you feel if, if you were a I know you're a fourth year if you were a fifth year right now and you would be asked you were being asked to graduate early to help um how would you feel
2: yeah um so i do have a lot of my friends are in final year Hmm. and um you know i speak to them quite often um, almost every day and just hearing their thoughts and most of them are turned various universities um across the uk and just hearing their thoughts um of perhaps they might be required to graduate early and start work early and help you know the coronavirus situation it is scary Um, I'm even a little bit scared for them but essentially they've had to you know sort of rush their exams if not cancelled or skis or doing their written examinations online Um, um, graduation ceremonies have been cancelled if not postponed Hmm. electives a major part of you know the medical degree you know the opportunity for you to Go anywhere in the world and sort of practice medicine, have a little bit of a holiday and rest before you actually start working completely cancelled. And so it's definitely hit the final year medical students a lot harder than the rest of us. Mm. And, um, you know, knowing that you're going to, you might be called into work in a you know, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and um, not having, you know, the specific time period of being on your elective. And usually before, you know, the medical students start working, you get a couple of weeks of F1 training that. Imp- you know, important F1 training, some may not even get, which, you know, we know that the jump from being a final medical student to actually being a junior doctor is huge. Um, and so it's, it is quite scary. They are feeling quite anxious. But, you know, at the end of the day, if this is what is required to help the situation and make things better, then um, it's something that they have to do, essentially.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I could definitely, definitely see that thing. Jo and I and, and I have both worked as junior doctors and we know how the early years can definitely mm. shape the doctors we become.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think um it's gonna be it is gonna be hard for you guys. I think you have had a lot of like sort of normal structure taken away from yeah. you. And I think it's it's difficult enough cracking on with the wards, you know, without this and without sort of a, a set training curriculum. The only and there is a silver lining, if you, if you mm. want to listen to it, I'm not trying to sell it to you, I promise, mm-hmm. is, um, the medical workforce at the moment is incredibly cohesive. Um, the, the, I would say the peer support and the tribalism that has potentially been missing because of the rotating and the shifts has gone. Like you will be valued members, you'll be looked after, people will know your names, they will care when you don't come into work, they will care when you're stressed, everyone's going to be sad everyone's going to be more emotionally available than usual apart from obviously the people who are completely stressed out um Mm. and you know this is the first time in my career I can kind of remember referring to other specialties and not getting you know an earful and people just saying how can I help um it has been amazing to watch and I think Mm. a lot of what my generation has found really difficult about being a, a very young junior doctor is that we don't feel part of the team or valued and I think Mm. as awful as the clinical situation is I think you are going into a situation where you will be part of the family that Mm. is probably the main and possibly only benefit (laughs) about this situation
2: Yeah, yeah I think I completely agree in the sense that you know perhaps egos are set aside whichever specialty you work in you know sort of set aside you know everyone has to come together for this one goal you know and you know making the situation much better than it currently is and I think that's what is bringing everyone together that common goal and essentially having everyone work together as a team
1: yeah and you will be looked after everyone's very supportive at the moment and also Mm -hmm. because you everyone recognizes that this is like you know throwing a you into the Pacific Ocean, let alone the New yeah. End. And <laughs> I suspect everyone will be a lot kinder than they usually are. Not that they were yeah. before, but yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, you will be looked after. Mm.
0: It's interesting because when I remember kind of the journey from fifth year to, to to F1 is is it's, it's really strange in the sense that I wonder if we all have like this altruistic viewpoint. When we first start, that we're going to save lives and all this kind of <laughs> stuff, and we almost lose. But I think it, it, it's, it's it's almost like you don't need to have that now because people will be caring as much for you as you need to care for your patients as well, which I think is quite a, a unique situation to be mm. in sometimes. But it, um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting, and I, I guess all of us would love to to know the view of doctors that are or junior doctors that are. Oh, sorry, fifth year. Uh, mm-hmm. Medical students that are preparing uh, for their last couple of months as students, and yeah. and as you said, that elective, I, I wish there was a way of just bringing that elective back. You know, <laughs> so maybe you can give just uh, like a like a couple a couple of weeks sabbatical from F one, so that they can go on their elective when yeah. everything Yeah, oh, that would be good actually.
1: Yeah, no, you're Ode. I want to know what perks we're gonna get at the end of this
0: summer. <laughs> Absolutely. That's if I good. don't
1: get my free parking, I'm gonna throw a hissy fit. <laughs> I, I, I've
0: seen a lot of your posts about the free parking and I think it really still hurts when you have to <laughs> it's so angry. true I can only yeah. imagine it it's probably not as expensive uh up north as it is down south so I guess that, yeah up I'd north be... was so much
1: cheaper I could understand yeah. it but when I was at my last hospital I was paying something ridiculous it was like 10 pounds a day or like five pounds wow. a night and When you've had a really bad night, it really stings. It just really stings. It's more than my mortgage in a month.
0: (laughs) I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. But maybe, maybe they they should just scrap parking fees altogether during this period, and we'll all be happier at work.
1: Mm. Part of me feels like, as awful as the situation is, we are going to get an you know an empathetic ear. And what medical students students should do is write down what they want. (laughs) (laughs) it may be that they can stagger it you know let you know five percent go off and have a month off at once or something you know there might be something that they can do because these are completely uncharted waters everyone Mm accepts that pandemics are extremely unfair um and i just think you know we we need to look after our own sort of sanity in this it's completely unprecedented and i I I'm not sure it is fair expecting finally medical students to crack on with this. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I'm very torn again, we, about it. Yeah, we don't know how much of it is going to happen as well yeah. it, at the moment it's very it's spoken about. We, you know, it we Most sometimes this with a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. it's all
1: sort of up in the air, isn't it?
0: Yeah, but I, so I, I'm sure. Like I, I always say this to my wife. I find that new doctors have like this new breed of confidence that I never had as a as a, as an F one. <laughs> I just find it fascinating. Do <laughs> just you think? I think so. Sometimes, sometimes. Maybe it's because yeah.
1: I'm always being asked for cannulas and
0: they're always a bit apprehensive. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> I've I've seen some uh, pretty cool things on uh, on Twitter about how you can like use. Uh, these tools to blow up people's cannulas, almost uh, sorry, their veins in their hands, and then you can follow where the vein goes. So that, I think that's pretty cool. Oh, that
1: sounds mm-hmm. excellent. Check that out. Uh, my,
0: yeah, my, my, fir- my my first job was a a, a vascular job, and uh, literally the hardest place to ever cannulate anyone. But I think that like set me up for the rest of uh, like rest of my career because now it's so much easier after doing that job
1: yeah they're not you know renowned mm-hmm. for their vasculature they're just <laughs> patients
0: are they fantastic yeah. it's been it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with both of you uh and i thank you for your input um i hope this really helps both doctors working on the front line um other healthcare professionals and medical students finally do you guys have any last thoughts that you'd like to end this with
1: just you know everyone says it but just be kind and that includes to yourself and you know how would you prepare if you had to train another person to go into this how would you treat them and keep them safe and then Mm. do that to yourself I think that would be my main tip
2: yeah definitely um for me I would definitely say that um you know medical students should use this time wisely um do not completely neglect your studies but also have the time to wind down spend some time with family and also you know continue to advocate for the healthcare professionals that are working the front line as well as you know provide advice we can all give advice of staying home washing hands frequently preventing touching of the face Um. so yeah definitely we're not we shouldn't be Completely, I don't want to use the word useless, but not doing anything at home. But we can definitely have our voice heard from home and help people as well.
0: Absolutely, perfect. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, and this you. is,
2: it's this been
0: really is fun. A, yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> if anyone wants to get in touch, um I'll leave links to the social media profiles for both Khadija and Joel in the description. If you have any comments or questions about what we do at wellmedic.co.uk, Please get in touch, and you can get in touch via emailing sham.wellmedic at gmail.com. Thank you.